The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. 2015, the year of miracles. I'm believing for miracles in your life. Last year, we called um, the year the year of blessing, and we just saw so many different blessings as a church. I think I can't even remember it being more blessed in so many different aspects. We were just totally, totally blessed. This year, we're looking forward for miracles, amazing miracles. Who needs a miracle this year? Who needs a miracle right now? How many of you are needing? You're right now at a point where you need a miracle. Well, let me tell you, you've come to the right place because God is the God of miracles. I believe in miracles. Too many people have been brainwashed out of miracles. And all that says, when you stop believing in miracles, you actually stop believing that God has power to intervene into the world. So, so don't, don't leave God out of the equation. Don't, don't leave God out of your life because he has the power to intervene and bring about a miracle in your situation. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, expect a miracle. That's the way. Because um, the first... So, so the, I've been doing a series called um, The Year of Miracles. And so we started, first of all, with the environment for miracles. So that was at the beginning of the year, the environment for miracles, which is expectation. So if you don't have expectation, you're not building an environment for miracles. But expectation actually builds the environment for miracles. So expect a miracle. Don't live there thinking that it's not going to happen. Expect. It's the environment. Then, then I spoke another message called the entry point to miracles. And the entry point to miracles is when you get to the end of what you can do. The end of what you can do is the entry point for what God can do. See, God's not going to do for you what you can do for yourself. So, so you just got to do what you can do. And then the miracle happens. So the little boy gave Jesus his five loaves and two fish. That was the entry point. He got to the end. Well, that's all I've got. I can't do any more. God says, thank you. I'll take what you've given me. And from there, we'll use it as the launch pad for the miracle. So, you know, the turning the water into wine. Just give me some water. Just something. You do what you can do. Get some jars of water. So they did what they can do. God says, when you get to the end of what you can do, that's the entry point to the miracle. So have you got to the end of what you can do? Have you got to the, you know, so what, what have you got in your hand? What have you got in your house? What have you got in your heart? What have you got that you can give to God? Because what you can give is the beginning point of God's miracle. Then the third one was the engine room. So the in, in environment, the entry point, the engine room, and the engine room to miracles is prayer. And prayer, persistent prayer, has got to be the deal for us. Always praying. Don't cease. Don't stop praying. Pray consistently, persistently. Keep knocking. Keep asking, keep seeking, and you will find. It's so important that you don't think, well, I prayed once and I didn't get it. Don't give up. Always keep going. Keep knocking. Keep ringing. Keep talking. Keep going for it. And why is that? Because every time you keep knocking, you're saying, I believe you're there, God. I know you're there. Whatever reason, I know you're there. And I'll keep knocking. As soon as you walk away, you're saying, you're not there, God. That's why you walk away. But if you believe that God's there, you'll just keep knocking until the door is open. 
You just stay there. I know you're in there. I can see the lights on. I'm just going to start. I'm just going to make a pest of myself. I'm camping here, matter of fact. I'm not going home until you open this door. God loves that. Seriously, I mean, I'm not going to preach that sermon again, but just for some of you, you just got to keep persisting. And then today I'm going to talk about the energizer for miracles. And the energizer for miracles is the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit, the energizer for miracles. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, if you have your Bibles. Just a very simple verse from the Bible that we Pentecostals love. I especially love this verse. It says this, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you shall receive power. I just love saying that word. Power. Sounds powerful. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. So then Jesus gives one illustration of what it means to receive power. But there are many other aspects to receiving power. That word power is a Greek word called dunamis. That word dunamis has a bigger connotation than just power. It actually means miraculous working power. You shall receive miraculous working power. Power to do that which you cannot do when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It also means to be energized. You shall be energized when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I love that energy. Don't you love energy? Don't you love anointing? Don't you love enthusiasm? Don't you love to see people that are full of the power of God? It's been boring. Now, context to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Context. Mount of Ascension in Israel. This is 40 days after the resurrection. So Jesus died upon the cross, three days later, rises from the dead, spends 40 days with the disciples, just, you know, encouraging them, putting everything in order. And then here it is. It's the last day of Jesus on planet Earth, on the Mount of Ascension, gathers his disciples around. He's about to go into heaven. He's about to ascend into heaven. He's about to be taken up into heaven in the clouds of glory. And before he ascends into heaven, gathers his disciples and he says, okay, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Don't you start this venture of evangelizing the world until you are endured with power. Don't you start this whole project, the whole thing of why I came here to spread this message of the gospel, this message that I've given my life for, this message that is the critical event in human history. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was the critical event in human history. We've actually divided our history by his coming. 
by his death on the cross, his resurrection. It's the critical point in human history. There is no event more important than the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can anybody say amen to that? There is nothing more critical to humanity than understanding that God became flesh took upon himself humanity so that he could pay the penalty for the sins of mankind in order to make a way whereby man can have his sins forgiven and be declared righteous so that he can enter into heaven and live with God forever and ever and ever. That critical point was the gospel, was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's got his band of believers He's got his band of people and he's saying, get hold of this. This is so important for you to understand. Everything that I have done rests upon your shoulders. If you don't tell, humanity will not know. If you don't share this, my coming will have been of no avail because those people living in the year 2015 will have no clue that 2,000 years ago, God became flesh and died upon the cross for the sins of mankind. How many of you know that the gospel is the most important message in the whole wide world? But then Jesus says to them, but don't start sharing this message until you're endured with power. Don't start sharing it until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Because when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you're going to receive power. You're going to receive something from heaven that will change you forever. You'll stop being me flesh. You will stop being me human. And you will have residing within you the essence of God. The Holy Spirit will live within you. He'll empower. You will be a different person when you're endured with power on high. That's what makes Holy Ghost preachers different to anybody else because there's an anointing of heaven upon their lives. How many of you want this? How many of you want to live a boring life? How many of you want to live a powerful life? You shall receive power. See, this is what's so important. How many of you know that things dissipate over time? The law of dissipation. You know, it's, you start strong, but you oftentimes don't finish as strong as you start. How many of you have started things with lots of energy? Then you get to a certain point, you run out of gas, you're out. It's dissipation, see. So what, what, what tends to happen in life is that energy gets lost as it is used up. And so what Jesus was doing was giving us the answer to dissipation. And that's the energizing of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power. So the the people in the year 2015 ought not to be disadvantaged. And the way that they would be disadvantaged is this. If the message after 2,000 years just gets slower and more watered down and it just becomes more and less and less, 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 less until 2,000 years later, it's hardly audible. But the Holy Spirit was given that rather than it stopping, it would continue in its same power and authority as it was 2,000 years ago. That what Jesus did then, he can do now. Why? Because 
knows in Hebrews, it tells us he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no stopping him. He is the same God today as he was 2,000 years ago. The same miracles that he did then, he is able to do today through the power of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power, dunamis. And so what we find is this, that the apostles got it. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all gathered together in the upper room with one accord. And suddenly, like a rushing mighty wind, they were like flames of fire descended upon them. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, the church of God rose up, rose up not as an insipid, weak knee, dilly-dallying bunch of lunatics, but rose up as a powerful force to be reckoned with to spread the gospel around the world and 2,000 years later this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is still being declared in power and wherever people are filled with the Holy Spirit God's power is available my goodness I can't preach about the Holy Spirit not get fired up guys so if you're expecting some boring little homily this morning You've come to the wrong place. Maybe there's some church down the road where you can get that, but you won't get it here. You need to get Pentecostal fire because you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The energy from God. Something begins to happen. So the book of Acts is filled with illustrations of people filled with this dunamis. Just let me give you one. Acts Acts 6 verse 8. Bible talks about Stephen being filled with faith and power. Stephen was a deacon. Well, matter of fact, this was before he was a deacon, he was filled with faith and power. While he was just an ordinary member of the church, he was filled with faith and power. And that's why they made him a deacon, because he was filled with faith and power. And the Bible says that he did great wonders and signs among the people, just as a church member, because he got that. He got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He got the fire. He got the power. He got the dunamis. That's available to you. That's available to every Christian. That's available to every single believer. This dunamis of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And it says in Mark 16, and these signs shall follow those who believe. This is Jesus talking a similar time. Come on, these are signs. They shall speak in other tongues. They shall cast out devils. Don't you love that? See, he said, well, what is this casting out of devils? In so many countries of the world where their focus is much more spiritual than it is in Australia, they worship demons. They worship idols and and consequently demon possession is 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 quite frequent and quite uh it's quite characteristic in australia we kind of either put them in in homes or we try to put them aside or we say that they're crazy or we say they're mental or they say there's something but in bible days they just cast out the devils now please let me stop pause right there i am not saying that every mental illness is a demon matter of fact i don't believe that I believe in mental illness. I believe that sometimes there can be 
something going wrong up here. Your brain is an organ like your liver, like your kidneys. And like any part of your body can get sick, so can your brain. And so when your serotonin levels can be depleted, that's not a demon. That is just a physical problem that needs addressing. So understand that. But there are certain situations where, where demons are very real and they create havoc. But the Bible tells us that in the name of Jesus, we can cast devils out. In the name of Jesus. Everybody say, in the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. There is no other name that has more power than the name of Jesus. And what an incredible privilege it is to be people that can use the name of Jesus. I am not ashamed of using the name of Jesus. I love using the name of Jesus to go into situations and say, in the name of Jesus, we take authority. It's powerful. Something happens in the spirit realm. Luke understood this. He wrote about Stephen. He wrote about the apostles. Paul was involved in this. They all understood dunamis. They all understood this amazing work of the Spirit that brings power into our lives. Let me read to you another scripture from Luke chapter 1. I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit being the answer to the impossible. How many of you are facing an impossible situation right now? Is it, who's, just give me a wave. Those of you that are facing an impossible situation. What, what I mean by that is this. You can't solve it with your strength. You don't have the answer. You can't solve it. It's impossible for you. Can I just say that what is impossible for us is possible for God. Amen. So here's an impossible situation. Let's read the story. An impossible situation. And I, and I just want you to... Focus on what the answer is. So here's an impossible situation. An angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you found favor with God. You're going to conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And so, you know, the angel goes on about who, the na- who Jesus is, what he's going to do. And then Mary says to the angel, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, I don't know a man. How can You're telling me I'm going to have a baby? You're prophesying, I'm going to have a baby, and the baby's going to be the Son of God, it's going to Jesus, going to change the world. But how can it be? I'm a virgin. I've not known a man. How can this be? How many of you have been in a situation where God's spoken into your life? You've heard a prophecy, or you've seen a vision, and God's declaring something over your life that seems so far away and so impossible that, you, that, that the first response is, how can this be? Well, here's the answer. This is what the angel said to Mary in verse 35. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. Spirit. That's the answer. The Holy Spirit. How can this be? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit. So we're going to try it. Okay, I'm going to ask the question, how can it be? And you're going to answer me, the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for this? How can this be? How can this impossible situation be turned around? How can this impossibility be changed? How can this situation be turned around? I see you're getting around there. I like your preaching. Let me clap. Woo! 
Well done, church. I love that. So, so what does the angel say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Come on. I want you right now to think about the scenario that seems to overshadow you, the scenario that you're facing that wants to rip your heart out, the scenario that you're facing that's shouting impossibility at you, the scenario that's creating fear in your life, the scenario that's causing you to tremble. And I want you to speak back to that thing and say, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is your answer to the impossibility. The Holy Spirit is going to come because the Holy Spirit is the power of God. The Holy Spirit is the dunamis of God. The Holy Spirit is the energizer for miracles. Let me talk to you about the Holy Spirit for a little while because too often what happens is that we're either ignorant of the Spirit or we quench the Spirit or we grieve the Spirit. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Do not be ignorant of spiritual things, of things regarding the Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, it talks to us about not grieving the Spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it tells us to not quench the Spirit. So there are three things. We can either ignore, we can grieve, or we can quench the Spirit. And I'm saying to you, don't ignore, don't grieve, and don't quench the Spirit. The Spirit is God's power available to you. So why would you ignore Him? Why would you sideline Him? Or why would you grieve him or quench him? Grieving of the Spirit is such a, a terrible thing because grieving of the Spirit means you're offending. You're offending the Spirit. You're causing him to feel grief. And how do you do that? By ignoring the fact that he's the Holy Spirit. What's the first word in the Holy Spirit's name? Holy And the way that you grieve the Spirit is to be involved in unholy things. So so as soon as you get involved in things that are unholy, then you grieve that which is holy. And the Holy Spirit, He comes alongside to sanctify you, to make you holy. So why would you want to grieve Him? Then another thing that people do is they quench the Spirit. And the way you quench the Spirit is just to suffocate Him. It's just to give Him no room to breathe. You, don't, you, you just put Him aside. You don't acknowledge Him. You quench. You put out. You put a wet blanket on. You don't, you're not walking in faith. You're not walking in, in, in this consciousness of the Spirit. You're quenching Him. You're putting Him aside. And why would you do that when the Holy Spirit is God's gift to you to fill you with power? So that you can see the impossible made possible. So this is what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Just a few things. Four things Jesus said about. He said many more things. But just four things. First thing Jesus said is the Holy Spirit is your advantage. In, uh, in, in John chapter 16. It talks about the Holy Spirit is your advantage. 
It is to your advantage that I go, Jesus said. So here's your advantage. Why would you miss out on the advantage, the Holy Spirit being your advantage? How many of you think it's great to have an advantage in something? How many of you play games like Monopoly? How many of you think it's an advantage to be the banker? Now, see, that's called cheating. Now, that's a different ballgame altogether than the advantage that I'm talking about. Because the advantage I'm talking about is this extra power, extra strength. That's supernatural. That's beyond your ability. This extra faith. It's to your advantage. John 16 verse 7. Then another thing that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the helper. In John 14 verse 16. talks about the Holy Spirit being the helper. And I love this phrase that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. There's, there's a Greek word that's used called parakletos. And parakletos The old King James translates as the comforter, the new King James as the helper. But it's so much more than comforter or helper. It's the one who draws alongside to partner in life with you. Isn't that awesome? That the Holy Spirit is the one who draws alongside in life to partner with you. He's your helper. So why would you... Ignore him or grieve him or quench him when you can just tap into his power, tap into his glory, tap into his strength. He's the helper, the parakletos, the one who's been given. Jesus talks to the disciples and he says, I'll give you another helper. And so the same, same helper that I was to you, the Holy Spirit will be to you. Another helper. He uses that same terminology as I've helped you. How many would love Jesus to be alongside you? How many of you think that'd be cool? Man, I tell you, I reckon I could really do life successfully if Jesus was alongside why, why would you do life more successfully if Jesus... Why would Jesus have helped me? Jesus had told me to say the right thing. Jesus was full of wisdom. Jesus was full of power. Yeah, all of that. Tick, tick, tick. Very good. But Jesus says, guess what? I'm going to replace myself with the Holy Spirit. Just as I was a helper to you, the Holy Spirit will be another helper. Exactly the same. So, so if, if I said, hey, would you like Jesus to be alongside you right through life? You'd say, yeah. I'm saying the Holy Spirit is there available. Take him. He's, he's the one that's been given to us. Why would you do life without the Holy Spirit? Or worse still, why would you ignore him or grieve him or quench him when he's been sent from God to help you? Jesus also said the Holy Spirit was going to be with you. I love that. He will dwell with you and in you in John 14, 17. And then in uh, Acts 1, 8, he will give you power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he will give you miraculous power. Let me just emphatically say this morning, I believe in miracles. Unashamedly, I believe in miracles. You know, it's a strange thing to say in Australia, you believe in miracles. Because why is that? Because there's a whole bunch of people that say, you're crazy, you're a lunatic, you're a madman. How can you believe in miracles? Show me one. They said exactly the same thing to Jesus. And you know what? I don't have to show you a miracle to believe in a miracle. I've seen miracles, but I can't manufacture them at the flick of a finger. But I believe in miracles. Does anybody else here believe in miracles? See, when you believe in miracles, this is what you're saying. This is, you're saying that God is able to intervene into this world. That's what a miracle is. See, there are natural laws. 
that are governed by science. And science, actually, they're not governed by science. All science is, is an explanation of natural laws that God put into place, incidentally. So God put the natural laws into place. And so as life goes, there are natural laws that govern the way that the world functions. And that's what gives us order. But what I want to say to you is this is that you've got to leave room for God to intervene in the natural order of the world. And that's what a miracle is, is God intervening in a natural order of the world. Can I share with you some some of the extraordinary miracles that Jesus did that I, I consider extraordinary? Now, let's, you know, we always think miracles are healing and whatever, but have a listen to some of the miracles that Jesus did. In John chapter 2, verse 1, He turned water into wine. That was his first miracle. How many of you think that's really cool? Uh Turning water into wine. They're at this wedding feast, and and Jesus' mother says, Come on, Jesus. You you can do miracles. These people need some help. They've run out of wine. Can 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 you just help them? And then... Then Mary says to to the servants, whatever he says, you do. And so Jesus says, fill up some water pots right to the brim. They filled it up with water pots and says, now take it to the head steward. Took it to the head steward. The steward drinks and he goes, wow, wow. In most wedding feasts, they use the best wine first and leave the bad wine to wine. But you've left the best to last. That's awesome. Amazing. I'll I'll never forget this day where we... um, it was my first year in Bible college, first year. And, um, and so I wanted to go and help this pastor up in northern Queensland that was ministering to all these Italians. And what happened was that he wanted to reach these Italians. And I could speak Italian. I can still speak Italian. And so he says, John, would you just come up and help us? And, and so I said, yeah, okay. So he's reaching all these Italians, they were farmers and whatever, and he just wanted to preach the gospel to them. And, and in Italian circles, hospitality is very, very important. Very important. Now, back in those, I'm talking 1978, the Assemblies of God, which is the, the, the denomination that I belong to, back in 1978 had a very clear no drinking policy. We were teetotalers, there was no alcohol could touch our lips, and if it did, you'd lose your credential. And so anyway, so, and he was very strong in that and believed that and whatever. But I came from the Italian Assemblies of God where you could drink as much as you like as long as you didn't get drunk. That was the deal. Okay, so it's fine. Whatever. Hey, you know what? In some churches, you've got to take your shoes off. And if I go to a church like that, I take my shoes off. Another church, except I tell you what, I, what, what really gets me with these churches where you've got to take your shoes off. And then they give you slippers to put on. And they're, and they're pink, fluffy ones. That's what happened. I went to a Korean church and they gave me pink, fluffy slippers. And I'm preaching in pink, polka dot, fluffy slippers. And my nice Italian leather shoes were at the door. And I'm thinking, nobody is allowed to take a photo of this. No evidence. No evidence. Helen was there that day. Weren't you, Helen? Anyway. So, um, so anyway, so, so we go visit this Italian family. First day, oh, pasta, nice to have you here. Sit down and we get you some food. So we got to sit down and, and then they put a glass of wine in front of him. And a glass of wine in front of me. And they walk into the kitchen and preparing the meal. 
He looks at the wine, he looks at me, he looks at the wine, he looks at me, and he's feeling, he's feeling really awkward, and he turns to me and he says, do you think they'd get offended if we didn't drink it? And I said, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. He's, you could see the battle on the inside, and so he's battling, and he goes to me, he says, John, do you believe that Jesus turned water into wine? I said, Yeah. Do you believe you can turn wine into water? <laughs> and I said, I'm willing to give it a go if you are. <laughs> to this day, we reckon as soon as it hit the lips, it turned into water. But anyway, that's, that's another story. <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. Can we press delete on the video on this? <laughs> okay. So... Here's another extraordinary... Let's get back spiritual again, okay? Another extraordinary miracle that Jesus did. I mean, get hold of this. The, the turning... Feeding the multitude with five loaves and two fish. We're talking about feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. How extraordinary is that? That's an amazing thing, you know? Just as he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and just kept breaking it. Just why would he do that? Feed 5,000 people. Because... He can intervene in the natural course of life. He's another, he's another extraordinary one. They needed to pay the temple tax and didn't have any money. So he says to Peter, hey, Peter, throw a line into the sea and pull out a fish and then open its mouth and there's going to be the coin in the fish that'll pay the temple tax. How awesome. How many of you would like to go fishing and find <laughs> coins in fish's mouth? How awesome is that? But what an extraordinary miracle that is. Here's, here's, here's another one. I love this one. He goes, he goes to get figs off a fig tree, and there were no figs. And so he curses the fig tree, and the fig tree dies on the spot. What's all that about? What's, I tell you what, from that day on, I think everybody says, we better be fruitful, we better be fruitful, we better be fruitful. But, you know, it's, it's one more I'll share with you. Because miracles are extraordinary, and, and there's no rhyme or reason. It's like it can happen anywhere, anytime. But one of the last miracles that Jesus did was absolutely extraordinary. It was right there on the day of his betrayal. So the soldiers come to arrest him. And Peter, Mr. Macho Peter, he pulls out his sword and he's, oh man, he can really work this sword. He goes to chop a, a, a soldier's head off and he just chops his ear off. He just gets the ear, chunk, and the poor guy's screaming, screaming his ears being cut off. And, and Jesus picks up the ear and attaches a severed ear back on the servant's head. What an extraordinary miracle that is. The miracle of attaching the severed ear. Yeah, so, so John, why are you saying this? Because miracles is not just healing, but is provision, is calming seas, turning water into wine. Extraordinary things that God can intervene in the natural course of life anyway, anyhow. God can do it. So what do you need? What do you need? Because God has an answer to what you need. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, you know, there are three types of miracles. There's the miracle of healing. There's the miracle of healings. And and it talks about this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gifts of healings. 
And so we believe in healing, and uh, we've seen lots of healings in our church, and we continue to see that. But then there's another one called the working of miracles. And the working of miracles, I, I, I believe, is, is any extraordinary intervention in the way of life that's not healing, because healing is us recuperating and getting better. But when we can't get better, there's no answer to getting better. That's a miracle. So, so the gifts of healing speed up the healing processes. The miracle intervenes where there is no solution. It's not speed up the healing process. There is no healing. This can't happen. It's an impossibility. Then God comes in, works a miracle, turns the events around in life. And what we find in the Bible is so many different types of miracles. There's miracles of provision, miracles of, prov- of protection, miracles of progression, amazing miracles. And just shared some of the miracles that Jesus did. And you know what? There is no limit to what God can do. No limit, no limit, no limit to what God can do. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. But you know what? The greatest miracle of all is the miracle of salvation. For me, that is the greatest of all miracles. Do you know what? I still, I still get moved when I see someone get saved. I still get moved when I see people's lives turn around. You know, I, you know, I look at people in our church like Raj and Ranuka and, and just get, I just get overwhelmed when I look at what God's done in their lives. You know, and that's just one illustration amongst so many. But when you see lost people... Their lives are a mess, all messed up. And they're looking, they're searching. They're searching for answers. They're searching for solutions. And we just know that the answer is Jesus. And they come and they find Jesus. And wow, their lives get turned around, totally turned around. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 